episode 23 of the Swish Podcast. There are no words for what happened last night in the NBA, and once again it proved why it is continuously the best league in all of sports. Drama, emotions, happiness, sadness, anger, barbaric behavior by Raptor Nation. We had all of it. We had all of it. And it culminated ultimately in the Toronto Raptors blowing a golden opportunity to win their first NBA championship and put all their franchise miseries behind them for good. They had a perfect chance. They were up six points with under three minutes left with the ball. Regardless of what you want to say about Nick Nurse calling the timeout, Toronto had a chance to put Golden State away with a score. They didn't. We're going to get into all of it. What a night in the NBA. Series lives on, and I'm just so happy that we're going to see another at least three days of NBA coverage. The NBA really is a 12-month-of-the-year sport now, but I love I, every single year. I want the season to go as long as it possibly can. So to get an extra game in the NBA Finals, I'm really happy. I'm, I'm fucking I'm ecstatic. I am ecstatic that we will continue to be playing basketball in 2019. And the champion has yet to be determined. It could have been last night. They were getting the trophy ready. They were taking the plastic off the trophy. They had Bill Russell in the tunnel last night. They had the champagne on ice. They said they were getting everything ready. It was about to be a celebration in Toronto last night. And Golden State, you just... They never die. Clay Thompson will not let this team die, no matter what. Before I get into the game, I'm so freaking hurt by Kevin Durant, man. You know, watching Bob Myers at the podium last night, it was... At first, I kind of thought it was an act, and then I I really kind of read more into it, and... Let me say this. Kevin Durant is one of the 12 or 15 greatest basketball players of all time. Kevin Durant is quite possibly the most unstoppable one-on-one isolation score the game's ever seen. He is the most relentless, unstoppable offensive force in NBA history. Kevin Durant is 7 feet tall with a 7'6 wingspan. He can pull up from 33 feet away from the basket. Kevin Durant. Well, we are talking about Kevin Durant. We are talking about a guy who's won the last two finals MVPs, the last two NBA championships. We're talking about a four-time scoring champ. We're talking about a 10-time All-Star. We're talking about a guy who's continuously, year after year, in the conversation for All-NBA First Team. We're talking about a dude who at the end of his career is going to have a legitimate shot to go down. Maybe not now, but he, he will still have a legitimate case to be made by the time he ends his career. He could be the greatest. He could score more points than anyone in NBA history. More so than the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. More so than LeBron will end up with. You watch Kevin Durant play, you have the feeling that he could play until he's 45 years old. Because he could just stand in the corner and shoot threes all day. He has an unblockable release. 
unblock. He shoot. He releases the ball above ten feet. When Kevin Durant releases the ball, it's above the basket. There is zero defense for Kevin Durant. I've never in my life seen a, seen a more unstoppable, relentless score when he puts his mind to it. Just in terms of skill at scoring the basketball, forget everything else. You look at, you look at, you were building a score in a lab. It would be Kevin Durant. A seven-foot alien. And aside from all that, Aside from how great Kevin Durant is, he's one of the greatest basketball players I've ever seen in my life. For me, he's getting to... For me, there's a real case to be made that Kevin Durant had a higher peak than Kobe Bryant. Okay? That's a topic for another day. Aside from all that, aside from how talented this dude is, there are very few individuals... And I mean this. There are very few individuals that have ever lived that have loved the game of basketball as much as Kevin Durant loves it. All this guy wants to do is play basketball and compete with his teammates at a high level and have fun and play basketball the right way. It's what, it's what he grew up doing. It's what he grew up in the streets of Maryland and D.C. Ke- Kevin Durant, you could, you could find him at, at the park on the street playing basketball until the lights went down every single day. And he's been doing. He did that every single day from when when he was eight years old uh, un, until until he was a junior at Mont. Where did he go? Wherever the hell Kevin Durant. I think he went to Oak Hill Academy until he was a senior at Oak Hill Academy. He was he was playing. Kevin Durant was playing basketball outside on the street if he wasn't in a gym because that's how much Kevin Durant loves the freaking game. That's how he became so great. That's how Kevin Durant became so great. Because he loves the freaking game so much. I say I love the game. I don't understand. I don't understand the true love of the game. Kevin Durant. That, that's, a, that's a guy who loves the game of basketball. I played basketball. I watch basketball more than anyone. I follow basketball more than anyone. I feel like I know as much about the history of the game than anyone. I'm very opinionated about the game of basketball. This couldn't have happened to a better guy, a better basketball player, a a better student of the game. I'm so sick. I really am. I can't believe it. I can't believe that this is happening. I can't believe that I won't. When it comes out today that Kevin Durant has a torn Achilles, I just, it's going to take a while to sink in. I won't be able to see this guy play basketball. Probably until fall of 2020 again. I can't believe it. This isn't right. This shit isn't fair. It, that's what it is. It's, it's just not fair. It's not fair. There's no... People are going to talk about 
you know, oh, you know, blame the Warriors coach, uh, training staff, the medical team for rushing Kevin Durant back. Don't blame them. You can say that they pushed them one way or another, you know, I, and I know Jalen Rose went on TV and said that Kevin Durant's workout didn't go as, as well as planned. It wasn't good for anybody involved. Kevin Durant had a workout before Game 5 on Friday. It didn't look great. All parties were a little worried, and he still ended up playing. Obviously, the Warriors wanted Kevin Durant to play. Obviously, everybody involved the Warriors organization wanted Kevin Durant on the floor. Okay, we're at the point. It's not even debatable. The Warriors are a better team with Kevin Durant. He's the best or the second best player in the world. Okay, everybody wanted him on the floor. So it's not like they didn't want him on the floor. Kevin Durant wanted to be on the floor. That's why he was out there. Rich Kleiman, his agent, wanted him to be on the floor. Wanda Durant, his mother, wanted him to be on the floor. All of the Bay Area fans, they wanted him on the floor. Every true NBA fan wanted Kevin Durant on the floor. So yes, you could say there was an urgency for Kevin Durant to get back into the lineup and play. Because us fans starve for the highest level of basketball and entertainment. And Kevin Durant on the biggest stage. It just sounds right. It's not right without him there. It's not fair. So yes, we all wanted him back. But for anyone... Outside of the Warriors, training staff, medical team, Kevin Durant's team, Kevin Durant's doctors, whoever Kevin Durant got a professional medical opinion on, anyone outside of the situation, Bob Myers and his team, the Warriors' upper front office and management, maybe the players, they're really the only ones who can really speak on what really went on behind closed doors with this whole Kevin Durant injury? Was he rushed back? Was it a calf injury to begin with? Was it a strain? Was it a tear? Now I saw the replay. Kevin Durant tore his Achilles. We haven't seen the diagnosis. Kevin Durant tore his Achilles. He walked out of Scotiabank Arena um, in a walking boot on crutches with his, with his agent Rich Kleiman and Bob Myers right beside him. They walked out through the underground tunnel and they left midway through the third, I think just as the third quarter begun because Kevin Durant just couldn't stand being in the arena any longer. I don't know where they went. Probably to a hospital. Possibly to a to wherever Kevin Durant and the Warriors are staying in Toronto, the Ritz. Perhaps Drake has some sort of private property apartment for Kevin Durant to hang out in. I don't know where they went. Kevin Durant was seen leaving the building in the third quarter and it was it was it was very somber. I uh, uh yeah, as a guy who cares a lot about the game of basketball, it, it, I was very upset because the Achilles it really is the worst injury in basketball. The pain just the pain alone they say. The pain that you have to suffer through in terms of rehabbing, the surgery, um, getting back to the level you once were at, it's unrivaled. I've never, luckily, knock on wood, have suffered the Achilles injury. But to see it to happen to a guy not only as talented, but a just a guy who loves basketball as much as Kevin Durant, who just wants to be out there and compete with his teammates. 
I feel so, so, so bad for Kevin Durant right now. I feel so horrible for him. Horrible. I I am absolutely heartbroken for Kevin Durant. And if you know me and, and you listen to this show and you listen to my takes of basketball throughout the years, you know that I was the number one proponent or sorry, I was the number one biggest detractor of Kevin Durant signing with the Golden State Warriors in the summer of 2016. I hated it. Hated it. Hated the move. Hated it for his legacy. Hated it for his career. I'm on record stating that as well as Kevin Durant has played in the last two NBA playoffs, specifically the last two NBA finals, that the rings feel hollow. I'm on record saying that. I'm on record that it doesn't matter that Kevin Durant over the last two course of the last two NBA finals is averaging 32 9 and 6 on better than 50 40 90 shooting splits with an 8 and 1 record head to head against LeBron James quite possibly the greatest player ever okay I know how well Kevin Durant played and it still felt hollow because I was one of the biggest detractors of Kevin Durant going to the Golden State Warriors now this year I've started to change my views on the situation a little bit. The Warriors have become a lot thinner. They rely a lot heavier on Durant. Now, this is his team. You know, it it, it runs through him. And it's just, it's not fair. It's not fair to all the Raptors fans acting like barbarians. DeMarcus Cousins said it best after the game. It's pretty trash. You know, every fan base, and I tweeted this, every fan base, um, initially has a reaction to something that's probably different from how they're going to react once they, let's say, see a replay. Something like that, you know, Kevin, KD goes down, it's a non-contact leg injury, he planted loses the ball and immediately he grabbed the back of his ankle the back of his foot and the top of his leg and he sat on the ground uh, expressionless and if you've seen that and you've watched enough basketball you know right away that that's an Achilles it's it's the injury that ended Kobe's career essentially in 2013 it's when you plant and the nerve rips off with the Achilles tendon it snaps and you can't feel nothing so your leg almost goes limp, and KD went down. You saw the, you saw the replay. It almost looks like a gunshot went off inside of his calf, and uh, and Raptor fans cheering. It was disgusting, man. It was trash. So KD, I feel awful, man. I I really do. I'm a, as much as I hated the move. You going to Golden State. You know, I just love the game of basketball so much. And I want to see the best players playing at the highest level. And, um, you know, you, you just hope that a guy this good can get back to the level that he that he once was at and is at now. You know, at age 31, he'll be 32. Kevin Durant will be 32, likely, coming back from this injury, assuming he's out all of next season. He'll be 32 with a lot of miles. How many more prime years does Kevin Durant have left? Of all the guys that have torn their Achilles, 
the only guys to really get back to pre-Achilles injury level were Bernard King and Dominique Wilkins. And even still, they really... It was, Dominique had that one year when he came back and averaged 29 a game. And Bernard King in 91 came back and and just went nuts for uh, for the bullets. And then they kind of trailed off. They fell off after that. You know, Chauncey Billups had a pretty sustainable career. But it's it's the... It's the injury that ended Kobe Bryant's career. It's the injury that ended Isaiah Thomas's career early. Elgin Baylor's career. Patrick Ewing's career. It's a horrible fucking injury. I feel horrible. I feel fucking horrible. KD, get better. You're too good for this. As for the game... Toronto Raptors might have blown their best chance to close out this... This dynasty that's on their last legs. I can't believe how much heart... I I was thinking about it. Did, did, this, did this game say more about the Warriors or the Raptors? And I think it said more about the Warriors. But the Raptors, time and time again, had so many chances to close them out. I mean, you're up six. Three minutes left. I don't blame Nick Nurse for taking the timeout. Because now, with the way that the NBA works... You lose time. You go down to two timeouts under three minutes, regardless. Nick Nurse had three left, I believe. He took one, and there was a TV timeout after that, totally wiping away momentum. Now his players were gassed. Obviously, the Warriors were gassed. We can debate the timeout all you want. At the end of the day, it's a use it or lose it. Um, Nurse had coached a wonderful series up until that point. A lot of coaching is making a decision on the spot and living with the results. And that's what he did. I don't think it lost them the game, but it definitely flipped momentum for Golden State. Because out of the timeout, Toronto comes down, Kawhi airball, Golden State comes the other way. And Curry gets into the paint, kicks it out to Clay. And just walks in. Draymond sets a nice screen on Kawhi just to free up Clay just enough. And Clay drains a three. 106, 103. Or it might have been 103, 100. Yeah, it was 103, 100 for 103, 97. Clay hits the three to go 103, 100. Toronto comes down. Lowry misses an open three. A couple possessions go by, and, and Curry gets open again. Um, it, it's off a screen. Cousins kind of sticks his ass out. Van Vliet, Little Lake recovering. And Curry just rose up and drained it. I was just stunned that the Raptors were letting Curry and Clay get open. They were kind of playing like a... They called it a triangle in two. And... Normally when you play a triangle in two, you know, you think that these are two guys. They're the only offensive threats on the court. Let's focus on them. Make sure they don't touch the ball. It was the total opposite. So Curry makes that three with a minute 22 left. Um, it's 103-103. We're tied. All of a sudden, Toronto had all this fucking momentum. And the timeout hurt them in the end, but you can't blame it on that. You look at their possessions out of the timeout. Kawhi Leonard airball. Lowry missed three turnover Kyle Lowry Kawhi misses a three 
So with a minute 10 left, it's tied at 103. And right here, it's like, okay, the Warriors have been in this situation a million times before. What is, we all know what's going to happen. Curry, it's going to somehow involve the big three and they're, they're going to find an open three. And that's exactly what they did. Curry gets into the paint, kicks it out. Iguodala swings to Thompson. Kawhi comes flying, flying at Clay Thompson, trying to run him off the line. Jumps, pump, Clay pump fakes. One dribble to his left as Kawhi goes flying by and just fucking swishes it. Warriors go up three with 57 seconds left. Heart of a fucking champion, man. You know, you can't measure heart. And I, I texted this to hand last night when I was watching the game. Out of all the guards in NBA history, Klay Thompson is the best big shot maker outside of Michael Jordan. He's there. If I could have anyone taking a final shot, or I, I, you know what? I hate the term final shot so much. Let's call it a big shot, a clutch shot, a high pressure shot in a big moment in a playoff series. I want Klay Thompson shooting the ball over anyone sans Michael Jordan. So he, he's reached that level now. He, again, Brought Golden State back last night. The huge three with 2.30 left to get them within three. The, and, then, and then the game-winning shot with under a minute left. Kawhi Leonard, the defender on Clay Thompson both times. So, and even after that, Toronto had a chance. Um, you easily could have called a foul on DeMarcus Cousins on that Gasol missed layup. But it, it, and then... After that Thompson last made three, Golden State just blew up. Like, I've never seen a team this good do so many stupid things. So, they get the rebound, and it was kind of like they double-teamed Curry, tried to get it out of his hands. Draymond has to come back, who ran, he was running towards the rim. He comes back to the ball. Curry throws it to him, and in a state of panic, he steps on the half-court line. So, Toronto gets the ball back with 37 seconds left, and now they're in prime position for a two-for-one. All these Raptor fans are complaining about the refs. I thought they were completely, completely fair. If anything, biased, I wouldn't say biased, but sided towards the Raptors. I mean, the Raptors had double the free throw attempts, 27 to 14. The refs easily could have called that Cousins put back with just under two left, which they didn't. Um, And then you get to the last play after Lowry gets uh, the two, which Cousins goaltended on to make it a one-point game. The Warriors come down, and, and DeMarcus Cousins, right in front of the ref, blatantly sticks his ass out and hits Fred Van Vliet. Easy moving screen call. When do you ever see a moving screen called on the final possession of an NBA Finals game? Never. So it was a bit because it was blatantly obvious, but let, let's not go out of our way and say that the refs were to fault here. Because the Raptors had a million chances. Even still after that, off after the moving screen 106 105 Toronto with the ball you expect them you know to get a good look 15 seconds left they they don't call timeout and it was just it was poor execution Leonard gets double teamed everyone in the building knew who the ball was going to he gets double teamed swings it to Van Vliet on the left wing Draymond Green who's getting absolutely held by Marc Gasol Manages to recover as Van Vliet swung it out to Lowry in the corner. He got a fingertip on it. Ball hits the side of the backboard. Game over. 
So based off of the last three minutes that I just described, the Warriors have the heart of a champion. They've shown some of the greatest heart in basketball history over the course of this Kerr, Curry, Draymond, Clay run. They just, they won't die. <laughs> you would think on the road without their best player in a game five elimination game down six without the ball with no momentum, three minutes left. I mean, that's a death sentence, man. And Clay brought, Clay brings them back. Curry with a couple huge plays down the stretch. Iguodala was sensational defensively. And uh, it was a bit of everyone. It was it was Draymond making the final defensive play. It was Clay hitting the big shot. Curry hit a big shot, but he got it. He made the big pass. He got into the paint and drew attention on the last play. It was a team effort. So it was a it was a bit of Golden State showing why they've been so special throughout this run. Never say die. They live they live on at least for one more game. But Toronto, so many chances. Kawhi Leonard disappeared down the stretch. So Raptor fans. Say whatever you want. You had your chances. You're playing at home. No Kevin Durant for the final three quarters. You guys should have closed it out. They should have closed it out. Now we move on to game six. And I think this series just flipped. I think this series just absolutely did a 180. If you you remember back to 2016 in those finals when the Cavs were down 3-1, the waning moments of Game 4. LeBron, you could see the expression on his face like, fuck, I'm about to lose to these guys back-to-back years. But to go back to the Oracle and lose in five, pissed off. So kind of, you know, playing a little aggressive, get getting under Draymond's skin a little bit, walks over Draymond. Draymond doesn't like it, sticks his leg up, kicks him in the nuts. Draymond gets his seventh technical foul of the postseason. And that leads to an automatic one-game suspension. As soon as that happened, it gave Cleveland just enough hope. Just a, just enough hope that they needed. That game five without Draymond, Golden State's defensive anchor, heart and soul of that team. Would have been finals MVP at the time had, had Golden State close it out. You're confident you can go in and win that game five. Game six, you got at home. Game seven, best player in the world, best player ever, LeBron James. You're taking your chances. That's exactly what happened. Cleveland went into game, went into Golden State in game five. LeBron and Kyrie Irving both dropped 41. It was the greatest two-man performance in NBA Finals history. Cleveland wins. They come home for game six. LeBron has his virtuoso performance. 41, 8, and 10. Four steals and three blocks. Dominated the game. Scored 17 straight points at one, at one point. Or end of third, early fourth. Maybe the best game he's ever played. And then game seven, it was an ugly, slow game. Curry really struggled. LeBron kind of struggled offensively, but the Cavs were able to slow the game down and grind it out, ultimately with Kyrie and LeBron making enough big plays down the stretch to push them over the top. That's how the series flipped, just like that. Before that, the Warriors were just too quick, too too lethal from downtown, too deep. They move the ball too quick for the Cavs to keep up with. But a series can flip fast. (laughs) A series can flip fast. We saw it in the Milwaukee series. Milwaukee was up 2-0 on Toronto. 
We were, I was proclaiming Bucks to the finals. They're going to win it all. They're going to dethrone the Warriors, which, by the way, they would have had they been there. And they just forgot how to shoot. And Giannis started playing like Brandon Bass. A lot of that had to do with the with the Raptors winning that double overtime game, gutting it out in game three, flipping the momentum of the series. Series can change fast, man. I remember in 2011, game four, LeBron James scores eight points. Miami's up 2-1 on the road. And this was back when the finals were the 2-3-2 format. So the, 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 the team without home court advantage would play three straight home games instead of 2-2-1-1-1. So game four on the road in Dallas, Miami has a chance to go up 3-1 with two home games left in game six and game seven potentially. You would think the Mavericks would have been all but dead. LeBron James comes out, scores eight points. Takes 11 shots. Looks completely disinterested in playing any sort of offense or defense. Totally ran away from the moment on the stretch. Deferred to Dwayne Wade. Miami ends up losing. Jason Terry hits massive shots down the stretch. And after that, the narrative is, what's wrong with LeBron James? Why is he choking? Series flips. Dallas gains momentum. They bomb away from Game 5. Game 6, very much like Game 7, 2016. Ugly game, slow. Dirk just able to hit more shots than Miami was down the stretch. Series flip, Dallas won. You know, series can change real fast. And I think this one just did. I think the Warriors going home, knowing that they're playing game six at home with their, with their dynasty on the line, the last game that'll ever be played at Oracle. They know Kevin Durant's coming back, not coming back now. There's none of this mystique and aura that I think was kind of infecting the locker room a little bit. Is he going to play? Is he not? No, he's not playing. We still have the same core that won 73 games. We have a game at home. Let's go. He's not playing. But they're going to they're gonna be playing for him. Now they have a reason to win this thing. Not that they didn't before, but they have that extra intrinsic motivation that one of their dogs is he went out there and he he sacrificed himself he put his body on the line he put his career his prime on the line for this team and now that's in jeopardy so the Warriors have to win this title for Kevin Durant that's how they view this their backs are more against the wall than Toronto's and they've been here before This is a very dangerous point in time for the Toronto Raptors. Don't let this get to a game seven. I think it's going seven, but the Raptors need to close this out right now in game six. Because this goes to a game seven and with the Warriors and their momentum, they've been here before, Toronto and their history, the Raptors need to close this out. What a legacy-saving game, by the way, for Stephen Curry last night, where he had 23 in the first half, had it rolling, only two field goals made in the second half. 
but one of them the huge shot to tie that with with a minute 30 left if curry loses that game last night the warriors lose the warriors would have been 1 in 7 in their last 8 nba finals games without kevin durant and i think people would start not start, but there would be a really a lot of momentum in the anti-Curry part of, of NBA talk on, you know, is, is this guy, can he really, can you really consistently rely on him to be the guy on a championship team? You know, even though he's won three, Durant was there for two of them in 2015, he wasn't even the finals MVP. I'm not part of that crew by the way i i'm part of the i think stephen curry's the best point guard peak for peak i've ever seen in my life he's probably resume wise already number two behind magic and if he wins this he'll be he'll have a real argument for number one but if he had lost last night and the warriors go down in five that really would have i think steph's legacy takes a bit of a hit I, i i think it does you you would think he'd at least be able to push this to seven but he uh he was great. He had thirty one seven sorry, thirty one eight and seven last night. He had five threes. Steph for the series, he's at thirty two six and six, shooting just forty two percent from the field and thirty six percent from downtown, which is low by his standards. But he's averaging ten free throws a game and hitting ninety four percent of them. So he's automatic from the free throw line. Um, his offense has been otherworldly in the series. I still think he's been picked apart defensively. But this is starting to turn into, with no Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry can put all the detractors aside. Any questions anyone's ever had about Steph and his ability to lead a team, if he finds a way to come back from 3-1 and fucking make amends for 2016 and he goes supernova and averages like 38 a game with seven threes these next two games and this turns into Stephen Curry's signature finals I'll have no doubt but to put list him as the greatest point guard of all time we're like we're talking about Stephen Curry having an average NBA finals he's averaging 32 six and six Shooting the ball from 36, 36% from downtown. We consider that poor for Stephen Curry. This is how high the expectations have gotten for Steph Curry. The LeBron James, Michael Jordan level. So, yeah. If he had lost last night in five and gone out the way he did in that two for eight second half. It, I would have held it against him and his legacy. Slightly. Not as much as other people. Slightly. But damn, this is shaping up perfectly for Stephen Curry to come all the way back and win this in the position that his team was in last night. If he finally finally gets that Finals MVP, it would it would be just the cherry on top of quite possibly the best five year run anyone's ever had. If we would look at so if Curry finds a way to win this series and steal finals MVP. Not steal, but win it. The last five years, we'd be talking about a guy, resume-wise, with four championships, 
five finals appearances, a few minutes away from five straight championships, five finals appearances, two MVPs, one of them unanimous, more wins than anyone over a five-year stretch, five-year averages of 27, five, and seven. So 27 points, five rebounds, six and a half assists. On 49% shooting from the field, 43% from downtown, and 91% from the line. Over a five-year period, hitting 4.4 threes per game. Over the last five years in the regular season, Stephen Curry's hit 1,578 three-pointers. About 320 per season. Stephen Curry in the playoffs over the last five years. Remember, this is a guy who's known as a, as a guy who underperforms in big playoff games. Stephen Curry in the playoffs the last five years. 92 games played, by the way. A lot of games. More than a full NBA season. Against the best defenses in the NBA. No lottery teams. 27 points per game, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, 45% shooting from the field, 40% from downtown, 91% from the line. Essentially identical to his regular season output. Stephen Curry now has the 6th most 30-plus point games in NBA Finals history since the merger. Listen, man, the, the hate the hate that this guy gets sometimes, it's it's otherworldly. I can't believe it. I mean, you're talking about a guy for his career in the NBA Finals. Steph Curry averages 27 points per game. Ten full time. Ahead of Kobe Bryant. Ahead of Dirk Nowitzki. Dwayne Wade, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, more than Larry Bird, Tim Duncan, Carl Malone, bad example. You get the point. You know, you look at the guys in NBA history that are above Stephen Curry in NBA Finals scoring, average. Rick Barry, Michael Jordan, Jerry West, Kevin Durant, Shaquille O'Neal, Bob Pettit, LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Hakeem Olajuwon. Stephen Curry's going to win this championship. Sorry, if Stephen Curry were to win this championship, he would have a very strong case at completing the greatest, at least the most, having the most accomplished five-year run in NBA history by a single player. Fuck finals MVPs. Get him out of the conversation. What Steph's done, man. He's changed the league so much. He's been around long enough. We gotta stop hating. We gotta stop denying that... If Steph Curry can win this title, he's the greatest point guard ever. And he has a case as one of the seven or eight best players of all time. 
it'll really do a lot for my all-time rankings because that'll mean me shifting Magic Johnson down from four because I can't put Steph Curry in my top four. It would put Curry ahead of Durant all-time. It would shuffle Larry Bird around. It would it would change a lot. It would change a lot. But uh, Raptor fans, you're getting a taste of the Stephen Curry experience that I had to deal with the last four NBA Finals, who a lot of people consider those poor performances by Steph. No, 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 trust me. Now, Steph Curry's lethal even if he has an off night. Okay. This is the best shooter ever. This is the best point guard peak for peak ever. And we've never seen a point guard play at this level on the NBA final stage. And somehow, it's only been an average series for Stephen Curry. I would love to see Curry come out and, and go supernova, as I said, like 37, 38 points per game the next two games. Average six, six or seven threes a game. That's what the Warriors are going to need to win this title. So... Realistically, if Curry can find a way to come back from down 3-1 and his numbers for the series end up being like 35-7-7 and he hits 53s in seven games. Sorry, that'd be a lot. Let's say say he hits 32. The record's 32. Let's say he breaks his own record. Let's say he hits 35 threes. And averages 35, 7, and 7. And the Warriors win it all. That would be one of the best finals performances of all time. Oh, by the way, the Clay Thompson at one point plus 2,000 for finals MVP train. That steam's picking up. Another huge performance last night for the series. 25, 5, and 3, shooting 57% from downtown. <laughs> Not a bad second option. Him and Curry combined to average about 57 points per game on really high efficiency. Like, what what a luxury. Kevin Durant goes down to have these two guys. I don't think Clay will win finals MVP. It would take, for him, probably, like, another Game 6 OKC type of game where he hits double-digit threes and scores 40-plus and is the only one hitting shots, Curry would have to have an off night slightly, and somehow the Warriors find a way to win. He would need one of those and another solid performance to win, probably, because Steph's going to have insane numbers. But the Warriors will take this one game at a time. I would give them the slight advantage heading into game six. I haven't seen the line. But I would think that the Warriors would probably be coming out as four and a half point favorites. That would be my guess. Four and a half to five and a half point favorites. Um, now, Toronto can feel confident in the fact that they've just won two games at Oracle. They are clearly the better team when Kevin Durant doesn't play. They travel well, and this is a group of veteran guys. I think Toronto's going to come out firing. I don't think I don't think they're going to be super shell-shocked, but I do think the series has flipped. I think emotionally it has flipped. I think you'll see a much better performance from Golden State Warriors fans in Game 6 than you saw in Games 3 and 4. Go off on a little tangent here. Quickly. 
I this is what uh, part of the reason why I think home court advantage used to be maybe a little stronger back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, even the 2000s. Like ticket prices are just like ridiculous now. You got to pay triple sorry, quadruple digits to go see an NBA finals game in Canada. Sit in the nosebleeds. Quadruple, you got to pay over $1,000. So, you know, you're down in the lower bowl. You're talking five, six, seven, depending on how close you are. It could be ten grand. Courtside, up to $75,000. So, the fans going to the games, a lot of times, are either rich, international, you know, people from China who, you know, are seeing their first game. Um, corporate people, silicon, like the elite of the elite are the ones that can afford this. If you were to fill up Oracle Arena with 20,000 true diehard Warriors fans, wouldn't that give them a better home court advantage tomorrow? Sorry, on Thursday, than, than selling out the Oracle for an average ticket price of $7,000 to all of Silicon Valley. You know, they're going to show up in their fancy suits and they're going to pretend they're having a good time and the Warriors are down by 10 with 7 minutes left. A lot of them are going to leave. Like, what would... In the last game at Oracle, what would be better? What would be a better home court advantage, Joe Lacob, Bob Myers? I think that's why home court advantage doesn't matter as much anymore. Corporate and the elite of the elite are really the only ones that can afford these high... Like, insane ticket prices. It is insane. It is fucking insane. It's terrible what they do. That being said, back to my point. I still expect Golden State Warriors fans to be a lot better. This is the last game. They know it in the Oracle. The series is slightly flipped. I think the Warriors come out firing. I think it's a big clay game. I think it's a big Steph game in game six. I think they have the Splash Brothers have one last virtuoso performance in front of these home in front of these home fans. And then I think we're going to see a game 7 and you know whatever happens in that game 7 the league has changed. The NBA landscape has completely changed because for the longest time, we just penciled Kevin Durant into the New York Knicks. I'm a, I'm a victim of it. I penciled him in in the, in the orange and blue. Or you penciled him in as a clipper. Or we, we pretty much assumed Kevin Durant was gone. Not the case anymore. Now it's likely that Kevin Durant resigns. Um, if he isn't going to opt into his player option, I'm sure the Warriors would offer him the full max. And I know 29 other teams in the NBA would offer as much money as they could legally give him. But that being said, I still think Kevin Durant, given his injury history, you know, he had the navicular foot fracture in 2015. He's had rib issues before. Um, He's had knee issues. He's had a lot of little nagging injuries. The extra year and the extra $80 million might be, you know, too much for Kevin Durant to pass up. That's for him and his team to decide, him and Rich Kleiman to decide what he wants to do, where he wants to go. 
Because I don't think Kevin Durant's going to be playing basketball in 2020. Even So let's assume Kevin Durant returns to the Warriors. Next season's wide open. We've seen it. The Warriors are thin. They can't afford to fill out their bench, assuming they gave Klay Thompson a max. They're thin. They are thin as hell. So heading into next year, the Warriors, if they bring back Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson, Kevin Durant will be on the books but not playing. So that would be 35. If he opts in, 31. If he opts out, it might be higher than up to 35 to 40. Million dollars that's just tied up in Kevin Durant sitting there for the whole year. That you could probably fill out your bench with five to six players with. A lot of decisions for Golden State. What do the Knicks do? Now that Kevin Durant misses out next year. If they're less likely to land him. Do they shift their focus to putting all their all of their assets in an Anthony Davis trade? Who, by the way, this is how great the NBA is. We're 50 minutes into a podcast. Anthony Davis, one of the league's seven best players, is going to be traded within the next 10 days. I haven't even brought it up. So, do the Knicks just put all their assets toward, all their focus towards landing Anthony Davis now? Let's forget about Kevin Durant. Let's, let's go after Anthony Davis. Let's try to bring Kyrie in here. Let's, try, let's focus on some other big names. Does Kyrie Irving now? Is he more open to going to the Knicks? Was, did he not want to play with Kevin Durant? Does this change Brooklyn's approach at anything? The Lakers, where do they fall in this? Here's a scenario. The Lakers trade for Anthony Davis. Make the playoffs on the strength of LeBron and Anthony Davis and their role players. Offer Kevin Durant a four-year max, say, you take your time. You don't even have to come back in 2020 if you don't want to. But we got LeBron and we got AD here. And we'll pay you the max happily and have you rest. Because it don't matter. We got these two other guys. You can come in. You can take your time to recover. If you're ready by the 2020 playoffs, let's go win this title. If not, come back 2021 healthy. Is that possible? Would the Clippers take a similar risk on him? More than anything, this affects Golden State because we don't know. We don't know how Kevin Durant feels about Golden State and their medical team and their front office. All season, the entire run, it's kind of felt like he's been disrespected by them. You know, Bob Myers making jokes at the championship parade that they don't need him. That Steph's the most important player. That Draymond getting in his face saying they don't need him. You're going to leave anyways. All the disrespect he gets. All the, all the, you know, since Durant went to Golden State, he's been public enemy number one. Warriors fans don't really appreciate them. Bob Myers said it great. Kevin Durant is really one of the most misunderstood people in sports but a lot of that he brought upon himself and a lot of that happens because he's in this warriors culture he hopped on and he makes them he makes them unbeatable believe me he does if kevin durant was healthy from game one this might be a sweep but he brought a lot of this upon himself so he's gonna have to ask himself what is kevin durant the person 
the human being at age 31 coming off this horrible, horrible injury. What's going to help me best recover? What do I need most? What's most important to me? I think to Kevin Durant, it's a situation that allows him to compete at the highest level, playing the type of basketball that he wants to play selfless, surrounded by a group of guys that love basketball as much as him. That's why he fit in so well with the Warriors. So I think Kevin Durant needs a situation like that. I don't know if the Warriors locker room is is that same high level of culture anymore. I think it's becoming a little toxic. Iguodala's old. Livingston's about to retire. A lot of shit's gone down. You know, I've I've heard weird things about Durant and Kerr's relationship. So there is a chance that Kevin Durant is turned off by everything that is in Golden State. and won't want to hang around it one more year. And he'll just bolt. Maybe he just opts in. But there's so many looming questions that now we have to deal with and consider heading into the summer. It's Kevin freaking Durant, man. I, I'm, I, I just can't believe it happened to him. I can't believe this happened to him. Did you see him last night? Did you see Kevin Durant shooting the basketball? Did you see him hitting... Going three for three from downtown. Effortless. Kawhi Leonard in his face. Hands bigger than Shaq. Didn't matter. So, moving forward. My prediction. Is that I think the Warriors will win this series in seven. I think it's I think it's flipped. Although Toronto's the better team, I just think it's Steph Curry's time. It's set up perfectly where the Warriors make amends for 2016, come back from 3-1. And Toronto, just that that amazing chance they had in Game 5 last night, it'll be, it'll be haunting them for years to come down the road. When you have the chance to put away a champion... You got to take it. That was Toronto's last night. It might be the best chance they get. Now, for the series, they're still thoroughly outplaying Golden State in pretty much all aspects of the game. Shooting efficiency overall has been pretty even. Toronto turns the ball over less They rebound better, and they get to the line more often, ultimately leading in a more efficient offense, which also helps their defense. So Toronto has dominated the non-Durant minutes. I'm not denying that. And there is a good possibility that that continues. But I believe in champions. I believe in the heart of a champion. And not to sound cliche, but I just seen guys like Draymond Green and Clay Thompson and Andre Iguodala and Steph Curry. I, I I see them and I just it's hard for me to picture them losing. <laughs> it really is. Until it happens, I, I won't believe it. So I'm I'm rolling with Warriors in seven. It's what I said. It's what I would have said 
had I knew Durant was not coming back, I originally thought he was coming back game four. I thought the Warriors would win in six. If he was in for game one, I would have said Warriors in five. If I knew there was no Durant for the whole series, I would have said Warriors in seven. No, the Warriors easily could have lost that game last night without the 11 minutes that Kevin Durant played and the 11 points that he scored. They needed all of them. So maybe we should just give Kevin Durant the finals MVP if the Warriors win based on that alone. But you see how important he is to this team. It's a shame that people hate on him. And it's a shame, you know, the biggest shame is what Raptor fans, the way they were behaving last night. I feel so bad for KD. Get better soon, man. You're the best, the second best player in the world. Please get back to where you were or anywhere near it. I know you got a few great prime years left, but um, moving forward, I expect the Warriors to win at least game six, and hopefully it will be a classic game seven. I love legacies. So that's what we're going to be talking all series. We're going to have a podcast after every game for you. I hope this is going seven. I can't wait. We got a huge offseason coming up. Anthony Davis is going to get dealt soon. We have the NBA draft coming up. We have free agency coming up. The NBA is a 12-month-of-the-year sport. We're going to be covering it like fucking crazy moving forward. For now, it's been episode 23 of the Swish Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Schmall. We've uh, been doing things solo lately and kind of liking the results. So uh, we will continue moving forward as such.